across campus, online, and on 12:51 a.m. This, this, this is your student radio station. Hello, um, very good afternoon. Welcome back to Insight. Firstly, a big thank you to everyone who is tuning in to the show today. Um, I guess first thing for me to say is I really hope you're doing okay at the moment. That you're managing to stay safe. Um, that you're managing to look after yourself as well and you're looking out um, for other people who are self-isolating or struggling at the moment with coronavirus and all the added effects that go with it as well. It's obviously been a difficult week for many students at Warwick and so we can hope that we will be through this soon. Of course, we had the fantastic news last week that the vaccine rollout was extended to over 18s. I was very lucky to get my first jab just before I'm self-isolating at the moment. So again, it's really, really good opportunity if you haven't booked your jab yet. I personally strongly encourage you to do so. I know many other people will be encouraging you to do so as well. And yes, of course, today was supposed to be June the 21st, the day that all restrictions would be Freedom Day as it was that has not transpired and a lot of other things in our a lot of debates with coronavirus in terms of self-isolation possible future restrictions vaccinations we'll be talking about that as we go on throughout the show and moving away from covid as well with cheshman amersham by-election and the news from iran with their election over the weekend so a lot for us to be talking about in today's show and as always please make sure to catch up with all of our content of course we do have shows going live from the studio still this week. So you can listen to them on Raw 12.51am and on our website, radio.work.ac.uk. And also, if you miss any of our content, including these insights, including some of our other interviews that will be coming up in the next couple of weeks, catch them across our social media on YouTube, Facebook, Twitter, and our audio content as well on Mixcloud and Spotify. So you do not miss a thing that we're doing. As always as well, get involved um, in the show today. If you have anything to say, um, please do get involved, comment throughout the show. We'd love to hear your thoughts. Let's bring in my guest today. Of course, there's a lot for us to talk about. So let's begin with my first guest, a regular here on Insight and at Raw News. Adam Gravely, a very good afternoon to you. Very good afternoon. Thank you for having me. It's fantastic to have you here. Um, Firstly, how how are you? Are you are you are you staying safe right now? Staying safe, um, staying at home, just uh, doing everything I can. Like in, I am uh, double vaccinated, so obviously that's a a, a huge relief. Um, but obviously, we know the variants don't always recognise the vaccines. We just have to be a little bit more careful. So I'm I'm continuing to do that. Uh, just crack on with the dissertation. No, absolutely. Of course, being a master's student, of course, for many people, we will be. Many undergrads at the moment will be celebrating the end of exams. I'll be celebrating mine on Thursday. I know so many, many other people have done it already. I'm slightly jealous of them. I'm not going to lie about that. Of course, you've got a busy summer ahead um, looking about your dissertation. Um, can you give us any insights on Insight right now of what we could possibly be looking forward to there? Right. Well, at the moment, I'm delving into a lot of books on the uh, future of secrecy. So my topic is actually looking at the future se- future of secrecy in U.S. intelligence policy following the revelations uh, that were produced many years ago by Edward Snowden. I say many years ago, it wasn't that long ago, but um, his revelations have been some of the most impactful on U.S. security policy. Now, 
a lot of people discuss it from the privacy angle, and rightly so, that is a really critical area, but I'm wanting to look at it from a slightly different angle, and that is what the future of secrecy holds, because there are some cases where secrecy has to remain, uh, while um, governments try to protect us against some of the threats that we're facing. Well, it sounds sounds like you've got a very interesting summer ahead looking through all that. Best of luck with that. Let's bring on my second guest for today's show. Um, our head of speech here at Royal Dunya joins us now. Um, very good afternoon, Dunya. Good afternoon, Cam. How are you? I'm 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 doing I'm doing okay. Given yeah. given the fact I'm in self isolation and the fact my vaccine side effects have worn off as well, I'm I'm doing all right. How about yourself? I'm doing good. I was looking forward to doing this in the studio with you today, but just, just, just our luck. Just just our luck. Of course, once 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 I'm out, once I'm out of self isolation, I I I if I can say to Dylan, if I can be in the studio every day, I would I would happily do that. I feel like yeah. missing a week and a half now, but um. Of course, Dunya, we were on the Johnny Jenkins show on Friday. We were talking, obviously, about getting our first um, COVID jabs. Um, well, when have you got yours? Are you excited about that? I'm really, really excited. I have mine for 7th of July in London, Guy's Hospital. I waited until um, I got home first because both my parents got really bad side effects um, with the Pfizer. So I just thought, you know what, better to be at home. But I'm really excited less than two weeks left now um really really just buzzing to to have my my vaccine and i'll definitely be showing on social media like like you did <laughs> my big moment i i had to get a photo i went with um my predecessor and jobs head of news current treasurer at Royal enoch we um we both got our, our appointments somehow within like 20 minutes of each other so the photos of us on social media i think we were we were both quite excited definitely i think just to just to get it out that we had got our vaccinations and i think Let's start, let's start off with that, because we've obviously been talking about the vaccines. Of course, obviously, Adam, you are double jabbed. I very luckily managed to get one jab on Saturday. Um, let's, let's obviously talk. I think it's just a good opportunity now. I think for obviously we know many students have been taking out the taking up their offers for vaccines. I know so many people have been getting their vaccine appointments and been really excited about it. Of course, we've, we've kind of spoken a little bit about side effects and sort of what things to look out for and i think it's i think it was just a good thing for us now to just quickly talk about our experiences of getting the vaccine i think for many people who i know obviously they've talked about the side effects some people i know will be concerned about the jab so i think it's opportunity now adam obviously you said you were double jabbed mm. what was your experience of getting the vaccine like uh well first of all big thank you to the nhs for supplying the vaccine and the incredible staff that were on duty um in terms of my uh, side effects, I actually had the AstraZeneca vaccine because when I had it, it was still guidance to give it to those of us under the age of 30. Um, I did have flu-like symptoms, um, uh, which uh, weren't, they weren't pleasant, I'll be frank, but uh, that was with the first jab. With the second jab, again, I had AstraZeneca because that was what was recommended, um, and I had a mild headache at most. So, um now I hear the first vaccine has generally, from the people I've spoken to, the first vaccine has been the worst for them in terms of side effects, and the second vaccine has uh, been a lot better. Um, at the end day, I'm so glad I got it. No regrets at all. Um, I would go through those side effects again if it kept me safe. Yeah, I think that's the first thing I think is really important to say about um, the jab. Certainly from my experience, I described, I, I said last night we were on the exec call, 
for Raw. And I described it a little bit as like the first verse of You're the One That I Want from Greece. Sort of as you get the vaccine in, you do start to feel some of the side effects. So, you know, the chills, they're multiplying. You know, you're not quite losing the control, but, you know, the power of the vaccine supplying is electrifying because at the end of the day, it is contributing to keeping you safe from COVID-19. And I have just literally ruined Greece for everyone. I'm really sorry about that. But the, the point being is that as a as a jab, obviously, we know we've seen a lot about the effectiveness of the jab against not just the, of course, the original COVID, but also against a lot of the variants as well. It's important to say against the, the Delta variant that two jabs of the COVID vaccines, of all of the COVID vaccines, are highly effective against this new dominant variant within the UK at the moment. So it's important to say, certainly in terms of the side effects, in terms of the process of getting jab, it's really easy. It's painless almost. I didn't, I, I've not always the best with needles, I will admit. I didn't feel the jab going in and out. It sort of went in. I was kind of quite surprised when I was told it was done. I was like, okay, I, I didn't feel that, but that's, that's, that's really good. But yeah, it was, it's a really important thing to get. And I think I know for a lot of people who are really excited to get their jab, I was really looking forward to getting it, knowing that it's one step closer to being protected against COVID-19 and hopefully being able to get back to some form of normal as well. So again, there's a, certainly a lot to look forward to there um, going forward. Of course, my second jab is in September when I get back um, to Leamington for the start of final year. Um, I know for a lot of people, obviously, they'll be getting their jabs at different times and hopefully by the start of next year as well. The vast majority of students coming onto campus and um, will have had both of their COVID jabs as well, which I think will be which will be I think something very good. Looking for a bite to eat at the Warwick SU? Daily specials and fine dining experience at the brand new Canopy. Karaoke, pub grub and lager on tap at the Dirty Duck. Salad and sarnies to go in the bread oven or a latte link up at Curiosity. There's something to suit any taste and any budget. And if you've got a big night ahead of the copper room, start it right at T-Bar. With speciality cocktails. Best stock prices. And our expertly stock bar overlooking the piazza. At Warwick SU Outlets, there's something to satisfy every taste. Your student radio station on 1251 AM. This is your role. We've had obviously a lot of vaccinations taking place within the country over the last year, but we have recently had um, the rise of the Delta variant in the UK. Um, cases um, for the last couple of days have topped or gone over 10,000 cases. We um, have seen a lot of cases, obviously we mentioned earlier, around campus recently. It's important to say at this time that hospitalizations and deaths still remain low and of course with many of the people who've had vaccinations um at the moment being in the elder category so elder ages the hope is that hospitalizations and deaths from this current spike in cases remains low but of course there's a lot of debate potentially about future restrictions the future of the delta variant and also potentially as well looking into the winter whether we might have a significant covid wave we have warnings this morning of a potentially worse flu wave um, this summer, given obviously the impact of lockdowns on immunity from viruses in general. So let's delve into that a bit more now. So I guess I'll start I'll start off with um, Dr. Susan Hopkins um, from Public Health England. Um, that's starting off, I guess, with July 19th, because obviously that's now the target for the government to ease restrictions, as was planned today. Um, so she said yesterday that 70 percent uptake of second doses would be necessary for restrictions 
to be eased. Um, of course, 70% is a very high number. And we're certainly on track to do that at the moment. But Dunya, I guess, following on from that, what do you make of Dr. Hopkins's comment? And are you optimistic that we can get to July 19th with more vaccinations and we can open up safely? I, in terms of the jab rollout, I, I am quite optimistic. It has to be said that in terms of vaccinations and all, you know, we have we have we have been doing really well um, in terms of rolling out and how many people are willing to take to take the, the vaccine. So yes, I am optimistic that you know, like he said, over 18s, it was opened up to over 18s um just last week and bookings have gone like crazy. Um in terms of opening up, because well we know that um the jab roller doesn't necessarily prevent case numbers i don't know i don't know um i've very in all honesty i've i'm almost hopeless in terms of having faith in the government or or anything um so i don't know i don't i can't say i'm optimistic i can't i'm i'm on the fence and honestly nothing um surprises me anymore i think it's certainly i think reflecting obviously the fact that we have obviously had the hope for june 21st now that's not going ahead and there's been obviously a lot of discussions we talked about on insight last week about um the delta variant and could the government have done more to prevent that coming in of course the vaccine rollout has been very successful and the government particularly made a point last week about getting um over 40s vaccinated and about making sure that these el older ages and more vulnerable people have their vaccines so the risk of opening up becomes substantially less, even with this current wave of cases. I guess, Adam, coming on to you now, of course, we're looking at the current spike in cases. They're predominantly amongst young people, predominantly amongst university age students. Do you think that if this is the case, and obviously seeing the impact, obviously, of vaccinations and scientists have been keen to stress that vaccines have been having an impact against, current, against the current spike, of COVID, particularly looking at hospitalisation and death numbers. Do you think that that's something we can be optimistic about, even with this current spike amongst mostly unvaccinated younger people? I think we can be optimistic. Um, the thing we must obviously remember is COVID affects everyone differently. And some of the younger people, they may be statistically less uh, susceptible to serious illness or death from the virus, but it doesn't mean that they're immune from that and it doesn't mean there won't be consequences. However, the vaccine rollout for the older age groups particularly has been a great success so far, and let's hope it continues um, as more and more of them getting their second doses. Um, for the young people, it might be a case of, yeah, we, we hang on so that we can hit um, more of them being vaccinated. Um, even with just one dose, there's obviously some protection. Um, I would say that we can be optimistic uh, as long as we don't have any new variants of concern emerge, because while Delta has been a variant of concern, um, that has evaded some of the vaccine efficacy. Obviously, thankfully, not a lot. Uh, the thing that we must always be uh, watching is there could be something far worse on the horizon that could cause us problems. Certainly, that vigilance, I think, is something really coming out of government at the moment and um, just before we move on to some other things regarding um coronavirus restrictions and particularly international travel um one of the things that we've heard actually i've heard from a lot of friends down in exeter 
And they have been saying that the availability of vaccine centres for younger people, and we talk about the sort of the spiking cases being predominantly amongst younger people, um, they found it difficult to find vaccination centres. They were saying that down in Exeter, it was almost you'd have to go sort of 20 miles to find your nearest vaccination centre that wasn't through the GPs and the GPs weren't always offering the Pfizer vaccine. So do you think then that more could be done, whether that's by universities, whether that's by government, to improve the rollout or make it easier for younger people to get their vaccines done you what do you think to that i also saw um a lot of my social media about um how inaccessible vaccine centers were for students and yes i do think so um currently students i would say universities do have a big part to play um we are current you know a lot of students are still currently in their universities we're quite fortunate in terms of Warwick. we have a city, we have Coventry City, we have a major city near us and also Leamington Spa as a, as a big town, whereas other university students are very much isolated. Um, so, it, you know, we want the vaccine. They're, this media, this narrative in the media that we don't want the vaccine on, does not ring true for the majority of us. We want the vaccine. So everyone wants, everyone wants us to get vaccinated, of course, with Delta variant multiplying within young people so more should be done to give us to make the vaccine more accessible for us and i do think universities can have a major part to play especially if they know their students are isolated and adam anything to add from yourself yeah so universities are a great hub for where we've got people in that age group who need to be vaccinated and in their and in their vicinities um and I really do hope the government looks at where there are sore spots to see if they can ease them out. Uh, so we've seen how the military have been deployed to areas where there are significant increases in the Delta variant to help with things like mass testing and mass vaccination. Uh, I hope the government can maybe look at seeing if we do have military resources that we can deploy to universities and engage university staff and um, uh, particularly those with medical schools to look at can we help uh, to boost uh, some of the rollout on campuses to get as many young people vaccinated as possible because again young people clearly want this vaccine and uh, i think everything we do to make it as easy as possible to get is a victory for us absolutely and of course as we've been saying obviously young people have we've seen a lot of young people going out to get their vaccines um over the weekend you've seen obviously a lot of the queues um at like the sports stadiums in london of course i was there at the vaccine center in coventry on saturday and again such a lot of enthusiasm so it'd be interesting to see what happens there a couple of debates now um to draw because there's a couple of things that have kind of been suggested over the weekend and i wanted to get your opinions on this because of course we're looking into the future of um COVID, potentially looking into next term next winter and obviously a lot of people um the vast majority of people by then we imagine will have had both doses of the COVID vaccine. And there's been some discussions. Um, so Dr. Adam Finn on the um, joint um, community or the Joint Centre for Vaccinations and Immunity, so the JCVI, um, they have said, or he has said, that the, the government should consider that anyone who has had um, two doses of the COVID vaccine um, should be exempt from self-isolation if they come into contact with someone who's tested positive. So not if they have symptoms themselves, but if they've come into contact with someone and they've been notified, for example, through by test and trace or through the app, instead of self-isolating as possible, it's plausible that they could now take daily tests like is the system in the United States. Um, Adam, coming to you first this time, do you agree with Dr. Finn? 
I think there is a point for us to be considering that as an option. Um, obviously, Buxton will have better uh, sight of data than I do. So what I hope the JCBI are looking at is um, the ability of vaccines to uh, reduce transmission um, and particularly in relation to variant transmission, because one of the things they must consider is whether or not we've got any particular variants of concern that are more susceptible to transmission. If we think that is quite low and the risk is low and we've got a heavily vaccinated population, it is something I do think they should consider. And what about yourself, Dunya? Do you agree with Adam? I do agree with Adam. Um, we know that vaccines give a very high um protection against the, the variants and like you mentioned the United States I know there are some states that if you are fully vaccinated you are exempt from wearing the mask for example um, you are exempt from from restrictions and all so I do think daily tests is the way to go forward um, so so as essentially we don't want people quarantining that has a detrimental impact um, on the economy and people's lives in general, mental well-being. So if you are fully vaccinated, I do agree that daily tests are the way to go if you are in contact with someone positive and we can honestly put aside quarantine for those who have got double jabs. Definitely. Of course, there's a lot that plays into that, obviously, as well. The different rates of vaccination, particularly younger people having not had the vaccines at the moment. But hopefully having had two jabs by the time we get to the start of term in October. Now, we don't necessarily know or we've got ideas of what term could be looking like. Of course, Raw News broke the story about the university's preferred approach to teaching a few weeks ago. Um, we do know, though that um coronavirus obviously respiratory viruses as we saw last winter do tend to have a resurgence throughout the winter and of course we know that coronavirus isn't the only respiratory virus that exists um obviously flu viruses are something we of course the nhs has previously had difficulties with winter flu crises in the past now there's been um some suggestions um from leading scientists on sage that we could have to return two restrictions in the winter and i guess the question from that is that obviously we do, i guess we, we it's very hypothetical at the moment because we don't know what the cases will be like we can't necessarily say what the hospitalizations will be what the deaths will be we can't even predict new variants of course i think a couple of months ago it would have been very difficult to predict how the delta variant has taken off in this country as it has but given that the vast majority of the population will have been double jabbed and given the high effectiveness that we have seen from the vaccines in stopping particularly serious cases of COVID-19 that would lead to hospitalisation, lead to deaths and lead to pressure upon the NHS. Does this mean that if we do have a resurgence in cases in the winter, that this would make restrictions justified? Um, Daniel, I'll start with you first. I believe that if medical advice have told us so, that yes, it is justifiable. Of course, we can't predict. I, I, I can't say for sure. Um, but if medical advice advises so, I think so. I think we've had enough of not following medical advice or not following their advice on time. So whereas it might not seem justifiable to us, you know, as you said, we'll be double vaccinated or the vast majority of the population will be double vaccinated by then. Um, and we've got high effectiveness of the vaccine. If medical advisors tell us so, I, I think there is no there is no thinking in is it justifiable or is it not or does it make sense or not? 
I think once and for all, we need to follow advice timely and effectively. I, I guess the question at this point becomes a bit of sort of the criteria. What exactly would we need to have um, restrictions in the winter? Because obviously we've seen in the past where the restrictions have very much come in when we've had a rise in cases. Hospitals have started to get overwhelmed. We obviously saw last winter the incredible pressure that was the extraordinary pressure, extraordinary pressure that was placed upon the NHS as a result of the alpha variant, formerly account variant, spreading um, throughout the UK. Of course, obviously, we mentioned the vaccinations and, of course, um, flu is likely to play a part in this winter more so than last winter. And particularly if things are likelier to stay more open. So I, I guess the question from that point becomes that with winter restrictions, is it necessarily that they're going to come from COVID necessarily? Or will it potentially come from a mixture of COVID, potentially more flu? And if so, if, just, if the lockdown so far have been justified based upon COVID, does that necessarily put any restrictions into doubt? Adam, what do you think to that? Yeah, so I think we're looking at maybe some slightly new criteria for restrictions. And I think the criteria, if I was to give advice to the government, my advice would be the criteria is the survival of the National Health Service. Because we have got staff who are utterly burnt out. They have been on the front line seeing goodness knows what trauma. Um, they now potentially have to face future variants of the virus and uh, a wave of, um, of flu over the winter. Um, uh, obviously, the flu vaccines may not be as, uh, as effective. Um, we also have to think about the efficacy, uh, long-term efficacy of the COVID-19 vaccinations because we haven't got enough data, I think, to uh, identify how long they're going to be really effective for. So the question is, does the NHS have capacity and will the data, is the data pointing to increases in the hospitalizations, serious illness and death? And if the if all those boxes are being ticked, we may need to think about, well, actually, do we impose some temporary restrictions to allow the NHS, to allow our social care system to get through the worst of a winter so that they can then get back to normal? Because we've obviously got things like surgeries and what have you. They've all been, lots of them have been postponed. Um, and we've got doctors and nurses who are utterly exhausted. So it's that combination of factors and we may have to think well, we need to accept some restrictions. But hopefully, if things keep going as they are doing, then maybe it's less restrictions, more guidance. Maybe it's looking at alternatives, international travel to stop imports uh, over the winter, for instance. So there's a variety of options. There are a variety of options, I think, and that is important to stress. Um, literally, just very quickly before we move on away from COVID-19, um, we've seen the government have potentially, um, as well as the um, the or the bringing back of the self-isolation requirements um removing them for people who've been double jabbed they've also said that people who have been double jabbed may be able to avoid quarantine if they're coming from an ambulist country and i guess following off of that very very quickly of course when we think about winter restrictions would it be more plausible if the issues are potentially with variants to impose international restrictions on international travel rather than sort of domestic restrictions do you think that potentially might be sufficient very quickly starting off with you adam hopefully hopefully and dunya completely agree with adam as well well we will have to see what happens there of course as we've seen with covid obviously a lot a lot can change very quickly yeah. and 
I think it's important to stress right now, obviously, the best thing to do, obviously, stay safe, um, follow the guidance that you've been given, particularly um, if you are self-isolating, if you've tested positive for anyone in your household has COVID at the moment, to do your best to keep everyone safe. And of course, I'm sure as we can all strongly advise, if you haven't yet, make sure to book your jabs. For, again, your jabs for your COVID vaccines. It says, as we, me and Adam stressed earlier, a very smooth process. And of course, as we've seen from the data so far, certainly a lot of long-term benefits for, and protection against COVID. Your breakfast, the feel-good way to start your day. This is Breakfast Radio for work students, by work students. Playing the feel-good hits and brightening up your morning. Plus, we have the best gaps, games and giveaways to freshen up your stagecoach commute. Listen to Raw Breakfast every day from 8am. Your student radio station on twelve fifty one AM. This is your role. Let's move away from COVID now. Let's let's talk about something else. And of course, I love a good election. And there was one quite interesting election last week in Cheshire and Amersham. Now, Cheshire and Amersham, a northwest London constituency, right at the top of the metropolitan line. Um, I, I say that because this has become, a lot of people have talked about um, the nature of Cheshire and Amersham, a town very much sort of outside of um, London, with a sort of a tube station very much sort of outside on the centre of it, with a link into um, London but not necessarily obviously within the centre of it and very much within the green belt as well. And I, I say that because Cheshire and Amersham, um, of course, the result in the election last week was a swing away from the Conservatives, a 25.2% swing to the Liberal Democrats from the Conservatives. It saw Sarah Green elected as the new MP. Now, two issues featured heavily. The first was planning reform. And again, Cheshire and Amersham, a town at the top of a tube line within the Green Belt, a lot of controversy surrounding um, government new planning reform, making it easier um, for people to be able to build within the Green Belt. And also HS2, of course, HS2 is expected to run through Cheshire and Amersham. Um, the Liberal Democrats, um, despite um, supporting both HS2 and planning reform nationally, um, campaigned against this within Cheshire and Amersham. And many have argued that that was what contributed towards the significant swing. Also, um, Professor John Curtis of the University of Strathclyde um, said last week that the focus of the Conservatives on levelling up and their focus on northern seats, which we've seen obviously was worked in Hartlepool, is currently, according to polls, expected to work in Batley and Spen this week, may be starting to cost the Conservatives in seats like Chesham and Amersham. So what do my panel think? Because there's obviously a lot of stories to unpack, and I guess we've spent most of the last year talking about the red wall these northern seats uh formerly voted labor now starting to vote conservative um ed davey after winning in cheshire and amersham um got a mallet and smashed down a blue wall suggesting that the conservatives are in trouble there so adam do you think that this is a warning shot for the conservatives do you think that they are potentially in trouble in traditionally safe southern seats I do. Um, and whilst I think they will probably, at the next election, maintain many of their traditional conservative heartland seats, I think uh, a warning shot has been sent to say, do not take us for granted. Do not take your traditional core voter 
wanted because we have voted conservative or we have voted Labour, whichever party we voted for, we vote for this, this and this. And we've seen in North how Labour heartland has actually crumbled away to the Conservatives. Um, I think the same can be said for Midlands and other Greenbelt seats if they feel that the government is not paying enough attention to them and to their issues. Um, and uh, let's just see, I think we're seeing a dynamic shift in politics overall uh, with the identities of the two main parties. And this is proving an interesting time for the Liberal Democrats. Um, much depends then what happens with that sort of alignment uh, in, in due course. Well, certainly, I think it's interesting to see what happens. Um, Enoch McCungu, our former head of news, has just tweeted this. So much like Corbyn accelerated the grand realignment um, in the north, um, there's a chance that Boris now could do the same in the south. Well, we've got another guest now um, to discuss that. Miles Kirk um, joins the stream. Firstly, uh, Miles, thank you so much for joining us. Um, obviously, obviously quite quite a hectic show quite a hectic day as we have been saying earlier um let's let's go straight into Cheshire and Amersham um what what do you think do you think that this is a warning shot for the conservatives and kind of following on from what Enoch said do you think that this blue wall that has now been conceived within the home counties around London do you think that there's a potential threat there I think definitely I think um Boris Johnson has definitely had a warning shot that he can be beaten and uh, whatever kind of political alignment that you take, that is something that you kind of have to sit up and recognise. And you did see the Conservatives kind of recognising that and saying that they are going to have to look at this because they certainly do not want to see the same kind of thing happening to them that happened to Labour in 2019. That would be embarrassing. So I think it is definitely a warning shot. and It definitely shows that the political, traditional political alignments are definitely gone. Uh, and it's not just Chesham Amersham. You see, like, I, I live in Nottingham and... Uh, there's a constituency near me called Rushcliffe, and that has for years and years been conservative uh, and was once the constituency of Kenneth Clark. But you have seen the majority starting to erode away and, and ground down to what was a, a small amount in comparison to years before. So I think this is definitely a warning shot for the Conservatives, and they definitely have to sit up and listen. And if they don't, they will find themselves in 2024, or maybe even before that, in a very difficult position where they are simply unable to balance between these northern seats, as you suggested, and the southern seats. So I think it is definitely a warning shot. Well, of course, there's been a lot of the discussion on the electoral realignment kind of seen post-2019 and obviously seen whether Brexit had an impact upon that. Um, Jenny, obviously, the Liberal Democrats here are obviously in a very interesting position because they've obviously they've been a party that's traditionally done well um, within these seats. And obviously, we've seen obviously the Conservatives have been taking from Labour within the North. Do you think, obviously, seeing the Liberal Democrat victory here, that that is the threat the Conservatives facing in the South? Or do you think, obviously, Labour had uh, their, one of their worst ever by-election results last Thursday night? But there has been suggestion a lot of this has come from tactical voting and Keir Starmer had done well within the South, um, within the last set of local elections. So do you think that perhaps there's a more diverse partisan split there? Definitely. Um, and I'll use my own experience of my own constituency and surrounding constituencies near me. I'm from South London, um, South East, where traditionally always been Labour, but actually lately for first time 
in years, we have definitely seen a more diversity in voting and Lib Dems got a very high percentage of voting rather than previously. So I, I definitely think it's not um, just a, a race between Labour and the Conservatives um, right now. I definitely think Lib Dems could be on the rise and definitely a warning shot um, to, to the Conservatives. Uh, but definitely in the South, I don't, I wouldn't necessarily say it's that Labour could be the the party that conservatives should be mostly worried about for their for their safe seats but actually lib dems could very well be in in the next in the next election very well much very well be um the party that people decide to vote for decide to align with a bit more rather than labor well, there's certainly a lot of electoral diversity within this country, certainly a lot of diversity on seats. It's interesting to see where this alignment, where potentially is going, whether it's on sort of Brexit, Remain, Leave, whether it's kind of more cultural issues, whether there's certain elements of economics as well. I think it's still something that's very heavily debated. But of course, one thing um, from the last election or from Cheshire and Amersham, we talked a lot about levelling up and a lot of the importance of key local issues on things like HS2 and planning reform on the local area. Enoch has um, commented again. He has said that let's just hope that this, obviously being the election on Thursday, um, doesn't lead to the Conservatives rejecting HS2 and planning reform, although he also adds it inevitably will. Um, Miles, do you agree with Enoch? Uh, I think this has this can't be seen definitively as kind of like uh, the Liberal Democrats charge back uh, to some sort of power or position. I think it can, in a sense, still sometimes be seen as kind of like a smoke and mirrors kind of approach. Uh, I don't think the Liberal Democrats are particularly strong at the minute. This is certainly kind of a foundation from which they can build, but I don't think it's particularly strong because you look at the opinion polls, they are still kind of languishing on around 5 or 7%. So I think that is definitely something we should look at. Um, but in terms of what Enoch said, in terms of HS2, I think it can be a very dangerous path to go on. And I think if the Conservatives continually have to switch between these policies of hate, like HS2 and like um, planning reform, I think that can be a very dangerous and will affect the efficiency of government and will also find themselves stuck in the middle between kind of what we see as the South and what we see as the North uh, and unable to try and find common policy grounds from which they can approach. I think... On issues, they should compromise and they should try and find maybe an approach from which they can then go forward and appease these um, the Southerners who have voted for the Democrats this time round to try and bring them back towards the Conservative cause, but at the same time not going too far um, if uh, uh, to kind of like alienate those in the North that they worked so hard to get in 2019. That's a very dangerous path for them to kind of walk across. Uh, and if they continue to walk on it the way they are going, more strange towards the north in terms of this levelling up approach, they could certainly see, for example, in like Dominic Raab's seat, Epsom and Ewell, um, see those, those seats going towards the Liberal Democrat. But I think at the minute we're not at kind of like crisis point. I think there's time for us to think. Um, but it's kind of a situation I think that kind of, they have to really keep an eye on. Yeah, certainly. And of course, we saw at the last election, we'll see the seats didn't turn, but there were a lot of majorities around that sort of home counties region that did fall for the Conservatives. Of course, the thing about HS2 and planning reform and a lot of these issues, um, one tweet I saw in the aftermath of the election that this was a good by-election for NIMBYs. Dunia, do you agree with that? Do you think that this is a sign that local issues are more important then? Yes, definitely. I'd, I I can definitely say, definitely say that this is a sign that local issues are becoming more important and 
because um, Shinto's are learning are sorry caring more and having more an import giving more importance to local issues definitely I can um, I'd say so yes yeah and obviously the importance of local issues will be something um, obviously to build obviously Dunya you do have to go now so thank you very much for joining thank the stream you. today it's been fantastic to have you Adam just before we finish this section very quickly um, of course we've talked about the importance of local and national issues kind of perspective but um also we've seen um we talk about labor a lot and the difficulties of bringing sort of their varying coalitions together do you think that bringing in obviously local and national issues the whole everything up agenda do you think that now the conservatives are falling into perhaps the same kind of narrative and the same difficulties that labor have had surrounding that Yes, I think all the parties are really struggling with what their identity is, what they're about, because they can't be everything to all people. If they could, they'd obviously have total electoral dominance, but they're not going to do that. Uh, the Conservatives are facing into that with uh, where do they sit in relation to levelling up the north, but does that come at an expense to the south and to the Midlands and to some of the courses that have always voted for them? And then that's obviously having the knock-on effect to Labour, um, uh, they having their identity politics themselves are trying to work out where they stand for, particularly uh, post the Corbyn era and what Keir Starmer is standing for. So I think this is where the alignment of British politics uh, is still expected to take some rather interesting turns still to come. Certainly. And speaking of interesting turns, um, obviously, well, speaking of interesting turns, firstly, um, Comment from Enoch here, obviously on the point of NIMBY, said that, yes, if you're an NIMBY, you had a good day Thursday, which is overall bad for the nation. But then moving on, I guess, to this next comment, and this is where we'll obviously centre the last couple of minutes of our show. Um, Batley and Spen, the by-election there takes place, um, I believe, taking place this Thursday. And a lot um, to discuss, obviously, in Batley and Spen, obviously, that by-election coming up. Now we've obviously seen what has happened in Chesham and Amersham. And, of course, Batley and Spen, more of a traditional red wall seat in northern and working class constituency that is increasingly turning towards the conservatives um of course obviously a lot of things to play for there as enoch has said obviously the can't just be seen as economic obviously culture we've seen that play in with brexit and enoch as well suggesting that the kind of culture war narrative plays better in the north than it does within the south so i guess reflecting on chesham and amersham miles is there anything we can take from that into the election in Batley and Spen? Or, as Enoch is suggesting there, that there are certainly very different dynamics potentially in play? Uh, I think we have to definitely recognise that the dynamics between Chesham Amersham and Batley and Spen are extremely different. They have people who have different life experience. They have people who live in uh, obviously different communities and, of course, will experience uh, different things. And that will just change the policies that they want to see implemented. Uh, I mean... Kind of, I think at the minute in the press, there's a lot of kind of ideas, there's a lot of kind of like opinions being thrown around that Batley and Spen is a foregone conclusion. It's just going to be Hartley Paul 2.0. Hartley Paul's course was a shock. It was a shock that kind of like, especially on the size of the Conservative victory. In my opinion, I don't think we'll probably see the same in Batley and Spen. I think Batley and Spen is definitely more of a, uh, a constituency that's more, that's less likely to kind of like sway towards kind of like these culture wars that we might see. Uh, especially with kind of the MPs that they've elected uh, in the past. Um, but certainly in terms of kind of looking at, you know, at this cultural aspect, you will see more people in the North being frustrated, uh, kind of like this kind of council culture being seen as kind of a left wing uh, Southern uh, 
imposition upon communities who kind of have different priorities and thus want to kind of see focuses on different issues. And I think you have seen Labour's campaigns certainly drive towards that way. They're not necessarily focusing on kind of their big kind of bold uh, issues as being part of kind of this kind of cultural war and focusing more on local issues like the Liberal Democrats did in Cheshire and Amersham in order to try and represent the Batley and Spend constituents uh, in a different light to the way that they actually approached Hartlepool. So you can see the Labour Party starting to learn on kind of those issues um, and uh, problems that they have been experiencing. But at the same time, I think it will certainly be close in terms of the result between the two. Which way it will go, I don't think is a foregone conclusion. I think it will certainly be down on the date and how kind of, how how kind of like how much turnout the both respective parties can get. Um, but it is very interesting to actually see the kind of the dyna- how the dynamic changes now. From only it's, you have to remember, it's only been it's less than two years since the last election, and already we are seeing different signs of these dynamics changing, and also how they actually differ geographically. And I think it kind of begs the question, what will the next two years will be like? What will be the next three years be like until we get to 2024? What will the situation will be in then? And it kind of shows how unpredictable politics has now become and how you can no longer kind of define among party lines. And Bartley and Spen, I'm sure, will be a perfect example of that. Unpredictable and unprecedented, two words that I've heard so much of in the last <laughs> couple of years. Um, just very quickly, firstly, um, our, the date of the election is next Thursday, the 1st of July, not this Thursday. Um, so ignore ignore what I said previously. But very quickly, Adam, just to finish the show off, looking ahead to Batley and Spen, I guess following on from what Miles said, um, the Labour Party obviously taking potentially a more localised approach. But uh, is, this a di- is Batley and Spen a different seat to Cheshire and Am- Amersham in that sense? It is a different seat in that we have seen the slip in uh, the Red Wall in the north because uh, Labour were compl- uh, the the voters there were completely switched off with uh, the Labour Party in 2019, and we've seen some of that continued decline. The question is whether or not actually they feel they can trust Labour. Um, they have a a, a a different sort of candidate this time round. Um, so uh, Kim uh, Ledbetter, she is going very much for the local candidate that I think will score her many victory points among the voters. The question is whether or not uh, people are seeing uh, Boris Johnson's commitments uh, that he's made to level up the North and whether or not they're feeling that the big, the big commitments and the big plans that the government have uh, for the North of England, whether or not they decide to choose that over the local issues, um, we will soon find out. Well, Adam, Miles, fantastic to have you on the show today. Thank you so much for coming on. Thank you. Thank you. And that is it um, from us here, um, Insight for All News today. Thank you so much for watching. Um, I really hope right now that you are keeping safe and you're keeping well and that we can get to the end of term very soon and hopefully look forward to a very good third year. But thanks very much for watching. Across campus, online and on 12.51am. This, this, this is your student radio station.